JJ, welcome to what I believe is the third edition of Software Defined Interviews. Do you feel honored? I am privileged for privileged. this. Yes, and honored with well, a U in there. That's right. Well, listen, JJ, I have a, a problem that mm. I want you, that I think only you can help me. In my rigorous research um, about this podcast, I found out that you are an Eagle Scout. Is this indeed true? It is true. I, I got it actually when I was uh, 16 which is very, very rare. Um, rare because it's older or because no, it's, it's younger? extremely young. Okay. Um, most of the, well, so the statistic is 2 to 4% of all Boy Scouts um, become an eagle. And most of them, of those 2 to 4%, are usually 18 because, you know, hormones and mm-hmm. uh, college, college is coming up. You got to get that on your, your college resume. But I actually got it done when I was 16. Um, and my Eagle Scout project, no joke, was me to network my school. I actually ran the cables, set up all the routers, and did all that. Instead of like a, a bench or whatever, I actually did like the manual labor for my high school down in uh, down on campus. Wow, so this is like the IT. You're like the IT Eagle Scout. I am. This, okay, so here's my question for you then. So my son is mm-hmm. seven, okay. and we, he has just entered the Cub Scouts. Awesome. So he's like the lowest. It's Tiger. Tiger Cubs, yes. right? And um, so I'm... I'm starting, you know, I, I was in the uh, Cub Scouts as well, but I, mm-hmm. no way, I never made it to the Boy Scouts, so I didn't even, you know, I, I opted out. But he seems to really like it, so I was wondering, like, is, but I, I have to say, this is a more selfish thing, like, I'm not super, like, outdoors. I'm not trying to camp and stuff. So far, we've just done simple things, like boat races, and of course, we're going to do the legendary Pinewood Derby, nice. which every every boy, I think, even, even if you're not into it, <laughs> somehow you end up doing it. So we're doing that. We're going to do it this year. It's going to be fun. But I was like, so now as a father mm-hmm. of it, because uh, of course I'm too old, nor do I have the energy, I would never be an Eagle Scout. As a father, what should I do? Should I encourage him mm-hmm. to become an Eagle Scout or should I just, you know, just let it roll? Like we'll just keep doing Cub Scouts and if it's his thing. So what was your path to become an Eagle Scout? So one of the coolest parts, um, and this, this is actually an, an onus on you here. But, oh no, um, That's, I don't like that already. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to go through scouts with um, the same den through Boy Scouts. Wow. So all the way from second grade through me being 16, whatever age, whatever grade that was, mm-hmm. I had the exact same group of boys growing up. So we were basically a fraternity by that time. The, the families were intertwined. We, we all knew each other. So it was more, it was me more being able to stay at Hill Elementary Right, right over there, yeah. yeah. Um, went to Hill and Troop 511 um, and Pack 511 at the time. Um, and we, we grew up together. So it was something, um, it was a brotherhood. Uh, on fifth grade, um, my, one of my best friends, or arguably my best friend, um, he actually joined our troop from Colorado. And to this day, um, I'm 30. 34. I don't actually know how old I am. Um, <laughs> it's not a test. That's okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, he, we joke about 
we force our daughters to spend time together so they become friends uh-huh. so we can spend more time together. Nice. Yeah. So for you, it's been like a pretty a lifelong thing. It, it really wasn't is. just something for, all right. Okay. And I actually, this is true. Nobody can see this because we're talking about uh-huh. it. I can confirm it. But yes, I yes. actually have the card behind my license. Wow. So when I get pulled over, I can just be like, yes, police officer. <laughs> wow. And does that work? Does it get you out of stuff? It actually has. <laughs> wow. All right. So I'm taking from this. Yes. You had a great experience. I did. And I need to uh, foster this in my son if, uh, you yeah, know, absolutely. he's into it. So, yeah. all right. Well, good. Good to know. This is good because the most important thing that we do is raise children. So, you yeah. know, that's like everything else is secondary. But yeah. now I know after joining the, the – after becoming Eagle Scout, you made your way to Chef. And why don't, you, why don't you tell? I think most people on this podcast are going to know what it is. But give us the quick, like, what does Chef do okay. um, in case somehow – uh, no one has ever heard software Fine talk and, and has never heard Matt Ray talk. Yes. I don't know how that, I don't know who that one person is, but quickly tell us what Chef is and what we need to know. Chef is um, a company that basically has an automation framework. It, it allows for you to declare what you need to do to a entity and make it do the thing. Uh, we have other products inside. Um, the Chef Suite now, but we are, our main product is uh, Chef, where you're like, hey, I need a web server that has um, Apache installed with PHP because you're stuck in 1995. I don't know. <laughs> um, it happens. It happens. It, it happens. Um, so you can automate that and have it repeatable and constantly redone. Um, we also have two other products. Uh, one is called InSpec, which I, I, I su- suspect we might be talking about here in a couple of more minutes. Mm-hmm. And then also Habitat. Okay. InSpec is compliant. Habitat is um, uh, the, the cloud native story, which we can talk about too. If you want. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. Okay, so so that's good. And I believe, and uh, tell me again, like when you joined Chef, the infamous Matt Ray. Did you interview with Matt Ray? And did, was Matt Ray the one actually hired you into into it, Chef? Is that right? That is actually true. Um, All right, so set the scene for me. Like your interview, because I, I don't know. I'm really, because I think Matt Ray is extremely laid back. Mm-hmm. Su- I mean, very smart, mm-hmm. as super technical on like lots of stuff. Um, <laughs> but like, I've, I've worked with him, never interviewed him. So, what is it like to interview with Matt Ray? Well, um, one of the main reasons why I work for Chef is because I got to spend time with Matt Ray. Um, it is, I was actually chewing this the other day. Um, and I, uh, I was in the open stack world for a little while mm-hmm. and, um, I, Matt and I crossed paths a few times in DevOps days, Austin and things like that. And eventually we knew of each other and turns out he actually knew who I was, which I thought that made me actually blush when I found out about that. Right. Um, because, you know, he was the big hey, chef. we guy. need to say some bad stuff about Matt Ray. So, like, I, I after can't. we get through the good stuff, we need to say some bad stuff. I, so, I okay. But that. you guys knew each other. Yes. And you and you were working. So, go so, on. So, um, the previous company before Chef I was at, I uh, tweeted Josh O'Brien, who's also another Austinite here. Okay. Saying, hey, do you think Chef would hire me? And um, he tweeted back, fuck yes. Okay. It was it. That was it. All right. And um, I sent my resume over and... Turns out I was going in for one position, uh-huh. but um, Matt Ray had started a new team inside of Chef called Partner Engineering, and the recruiter was like, "This dude has all these like OpenStack experience. Why aren't you just putting him as your OpenStack guy?" Right. Turns out, um, from what I understand, this might not be true. 
Okay. From what I, what That's I fine. Together, I like wild speculation. Sure. Um, originally, Matt had set up this, this specific job for Tasty Meats Paul. To oh. get hired in to be one more for chef as the open stack guy. Okay, we should give Paul's real name. Uh, Paul Tchaikovsky. I can't okay. say his last name for the life of That's me. That's fine, but he's yeah. Tasty Meats in the the software defined talk yeah. ta- uh, Slack group. Go on. I, I know him as CZ, so that it, get, it gets even more confusing. Okay. Um, he's the Australian. That's all we need to know. He's the Australian, but he lives in Austin <laughs> because, and we sent an Austinite to Australia. So we're going to go over chef's relocation policy in a little bit. But keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I think. Um, CZ ended up over at Blue Box or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And I was like fourth on the list of mm-hmm. that. And I was like, out of those four people, I was I actually got the job. So um, Matt and I just talked. Uh, I had a couple technical did interviews. He, did he not ask you like crazy obscure Linux no. questions? Matt Ray did it? He didn't. Like, oh, he, my gosh. Because he was like, I already know you, JJ. Like, do you really want to take this job? Because it's uh-huh. going to be challenging. And I'm like. So this sure. is someone amazing because you know Matt Ray gave a whole talk. On like applying for jobs, he gave a lightning oh, talk, and yeah. he's like very serious about like resume and like he's kind of. I mean, I think we can say he's a hard ass, mm-hmm. right? About although he doesn't, and like in person, he's not like that at all. No. But so uh, so you're so the net net here is you're known in the community, yep. you had done great work, and, and that's you know great that's, work. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that good enough. You know, good enough for Matt Ray is pretty good, usually pretty good. So. Um, and this is, I think, common, right? This is how, like, a lot of people get jobs now, right? It's like, they get known in the community. They have a lot of GitHub, pull requests, or whatever. Okay. So the other day, we were talking, uh, and you said something I thought was really good. You said something about, you know, because we, when we talk about DevOps, we always talk about, like, the culture and, like, config management. We can talk about all that. But you said something like, you know, like, why you really got into it. And it was something along the lines of, like, you know, this let me spend more time with my family. Like, and I think, I think at the time we were talking about chef, right. Or just, you know, the whole thing. So, and I thought that's a good place to start, right. Because, you know, you weren't obviously a chef before that. I think you had several, a couple of different jobs mm-hmm. working like sysadmin mm-hmm. and kind of a operations role. But like, you know, I, I just remember us talking about it and you had like a real um, passion. So I just kind of wanted to hear that story. So like, take me back to the time, like, you know, pre chef, pre kind of this sure. DevOps movement, this config management, like what were you doing? Mm-hmm. And then... You know why were you able to like spend more time with your family? Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I I love this story too because it really does hit the home, hit the point home. Um, so I actually came from the puppet world. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Before, wow. Before. We just said the P word. I know. I know. I, for the record, I didn't say it. Yeah. But keep going. Sure. Um, I actually used Puppet when it was not even a one release. Okay. Um, I was at a place called Message One, which eventually became Dell Message One. Right. Another Austin company exactly. that, that got bought. Yep. Um, and I was part of their production engineering team. So we got to get all the warts of Papa when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of didn't really understand configuration management at the time. It was just like another thing. I was still writing Nagios files by hand. We can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but over time, I got more into it. And I actually ended up um, working at the uh, ITS group at, at UT for a little bit. And I puppetized the Blackboard system there. Um, where I actually bootstrapped everything with Puppet, and I had just it running with Puppet, um, and even primed the WAR file whenever a new one got released. So during the actual reboot cycle, like on Friday, Saturday night or whatever, uh-huh. uh, re- restart cycle, it would right. actually pull down the WAR file, restart it. So I wasn't doing anything, right? Right, because I puppetized myself out of a job, right? Um, 
So I ended up playing a lot of World of Warcraft in the office. But so, but a, what was like the before and after? Like, so before you did that, so, like, so, so, go so, ahead. Yeah, I'm just trying to set the scene so, here. So, so I, I got I got used to using um, configuration management to kind of do my job. Uh huh. Um, but there were still warts here and there. Well, eventually, I got to um, uh, I got to using Chef at um, at a place that was a rail shop, and um, before. Before I understood Chef and the power of Chef, uh, as a sysadmin, you would, especially at message one, this is all within like less than 20 months, right? So I changed multiple jobs because it seems I'm not a great, I don't know, some people don't like me, whatever. Um, I, uh, every Christmas, I would have to go into the data center over here on Cornap when it was Cornap, mm-hmm. or I think it's called Z Colo now over here on McNeil. Okay. Every Christmas, it became a running joke inside of my family, being able, having to go in during Christmas to go restart a server that Nagios box went down, whatever. I don't know. Right. It could have been anything. Could I needed to restart X, Y, and Z. Right. Well, after a while, and when I finally got to this this rail shop, I discovered the power of Chef where I was able to um, declare my infrastructure exactly how I wanted it. I want my uh, Nginx with Puma in the back end uh, for the Rails, Rails app. Exactly this and do this, and it's always this exact same thing. It was amazing to the point where when I finally hit that, that Christmas, I'd gotten hired in January, so it was, it was about 12 months later, I uh-huh. hit that Christmas. I had my phone, which was an iPhone at the time, <laughs> And I was patiently waiting for that pager alert to go off, to go for me to log in, to have to go do that thing. And it never happened because I finally understood how to use configuration management to, to allow me to actually spend time with my kids. Because for five-ish years beforehand, it was a running joke. Like we'd have to actually move the, the, the Christmas dinner or lunch or whatever right. earlier and earlier <laughs> because dad has to go to work. Dad has to go to work. And it, it was it was a running joke, and I'm, I'm going to tell my parents to listen to this, and they'll get a chuckle out of it because they remember. Because my parents are also here in Austin, and um, it was just like they, we always wonder why. Like we we've gotten to the point now where we've gotten so used to it, it's not that. For the longest time, we always we wondered why we always kept a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier. It was because in the evening something would hit the fan, and I would have to run off to the data center. Right. Well, I just think it's really important, you know, whether it's DevOps or any of the product lines that like we kind of like we don't forget Mm -hmm. like why people got excited about this. Because today, you know, it's always like, uh, how can I, you know, all these culture talks Mm -hmm. and like all this, like, how do I transform my organization? And then, of course, there's all the various technologies. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's fun to talk about. But like at the end of the day, right, you were this guy Like Mm -hmm. before you sold Chef or helped sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. You were the guy that was <laughs> stuck on Christmas. And um, and I just think that's important. Like, we sometimes we forget in technology, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's really what it's about. Like, yeah, it's about being more productive, mm-hmm. and it's about doing stuff better and doing stuff faster, but it's also about, like, just making people's lives better. And so, you really, know. And Adam Jacobs' product, or Adam and Jesse, or however you want to say it, let's just say Adam's project, product, product and project changed my life. And I am... Every moment I think about, you know, other opportunities or and things like, what is the greener on the other side? No, because <laughs> Chef genuinely changed my life. And every time I see Adam, I give him a big hug. 
And I should I should mention also Fletcher cha- helped change that also with uh, Test Kitchen. That's a different conversation. All right, well, t- make sure we know who these people are. Adam, who's Adam? Adam Jacob is the CTO and um, founder of Chef. Uh-huh. And then Fletcher Nickel is, um, I think he's considered just a software engineer, but he's not. He's he's more than that. He's right? more than that. Yeah. Like, it's true. And if he does listen to this, and I've told him, and he he gets so it's so funny to see him flustered. I have a huge man crush on him because uh-huh. he's he's amazing. He's he's uh he's on the Habitat team right now, so right. we can talk about that a little while. Yeah, no, it's cool. Well, it's good. I mean, I think you know, obviously, you had a great experience with Chef, and I'll just widen it out a little bit. It's like I just think you know all the people that sort of were responsible for like the DevOps movement, like John Willis, and you know the whole crew and all the people that show up. Like that's really what I think that core group of people is really getting at. It's like, hey. You know, I mean, go all the way back to like where all this started, like people trying to run Amazon and mm-hmm. other very large situations is like, yeah, like, I mean, we were working a hundred million hours a week and this was impossible and we, we needed to find a better way. So, I mean, that's um, like to me, like, again, like I just kind of come back to like, I, w- I hope people are still thinking about that today and you know, not getting lost in like all the, the latest technology. Well, see, that's, that's something interesting you pointed that you touched on, which was I think we are. I think in general we are losing this. Um, when I came up through, when I was earning my bones, I'm putting air quotes up here. Right. When I'm earning my bones, we were still using Perl and like a uh, SSH for loop to go do stuff, right? And now that configuration management and um, con- using containers or whatever is standard, this next generation doesn't understand the pain of writing a Perl <laughs> script to go do something for you out on your on your machines, right? Right. Um, there's that famous, what is it, the, the famous graph of the over from the 60s to now and how many servers a sysadmin would take care of. It was like one and then two and then four and then right. ten and now it's like thousands, right? <laughs> like, I, it's really hard to, to I, I realize what we've done now as an industry, we're making it more delightful for the next generation, but there is some beauty to still knowing how to write a Nagios config file. Right. There's still, like, not letting the automation do all the work. I mean, I know I've talked to some people coming out of college. They don't know what a main.cf file is. Now, I realize most people listening to this podcast should know what a main.cf file is because, you know, it's, it's the industry. But they, they, they've, they've obfuscated so much stuff away from everybody that they don't need to know about these things. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what is the argument? It's like becoming a mechanic, right? Like you need to, you can drive a car. That's awesome. But if you really want to know how a car works, you got to get your hands dirty inside of it. Yeah, take it apart. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, it, it's interesting because I'm probably a little bit older than you just slightly. And, you know, I, I do think we see these waves come in. Like I think Dave DevOps, kind of that story you just told is like where everyone came from. But like I'll go back maybe just slightly further. And it was like, you know, when Agile, was sort of like the new thing, right? This is, you know, way back, probably like, you know, 90s, late Mm -hmm. 90s, 2000. And, you know, what I always say is like, you know, I've been in a lot of meetings now. People are like, we're not agile or we're not whatever. We're not DevOps. Mm -hmm. You hear this whole thing. It's like, you know, what I've just kind of gotten to is like, well, listen, you know, none of these words really matter. It's mm-hmm. just sort of like what you can do. So like in my world, it was like, you know, there was a time where like, yeah, there was a lot of waterfall. Like it was just kind of like preordained mm-hmm. that you were just kind of do it. So 
So I get into a lot of these meetings, like, I don't know, like, are we having the perfect stand-up meeting? Is the grab, <laughs> is the backlog permanently groomed? It's like, usually it isn't. I mean, frankly, it isn't. It's mm-hmm. not all ever perfect. But like, but we've accepted. We've now accepted the fact that we will change the quote requirements or mm-hmm. add user stories, you know, fairly frequently, even if it's every few weeks. Whereas there was a time, like, when I got into this business where it was like, no, like, you just wrote a very long document. And then changing <laughs> it was like there was a change review. Board. I mean, it's just crazy mm-hmm. to think about it now. So sometimes I think, we make progress, and then we sort of get frustrated that, like, the process isn't right, that DevOps isn't perfect mm-hmm. or Agile isn't perfect. But I think it's also fair sometimes to, like, look back and say, well, we have made progress. And then, you know, the next generation, and as we continue to work, like, something new will come. Like, it always happens, something new. And I think we're seeing that with the containers. So uh, let me ask you a question. We, there's a conversation that popped up in one of the Slack channels I'm in um, yesterday, I think it was now. To you, what's the difference between an SRE and a DevOps practitioner? I don't really. I honestly don't have like a strong definition. Okay. I mean, I would just say you know SRE is like the Google po- popularized term, and <laughs> then um, you know, and then just like to me, they're all kind of the same general person and title. Okay. Uh, it's just more if I was like posting a job ad, mm-hmm. I would probably you know. Maybe even post a couple of recs. I had one restaurant and just to see who I could get. But I, I personally don't – I don't draw a strong distinction. But I'm not like – I don't run um, – you know, I'm probably – it's probably a little bit unfair to me to be like I, – like I don't run a team of these guys. Okay. I don't run day-to-day. So, like, I don't know. What's your answer? Well, how would you say it? That's my problem is actually I don't know. Like, for, for me for, – well, also, being that I just do my, my chef integration work, I don't actually do – like I, I'm no longer a production engineer, a DevOps engineer. Right. right? Like I, I've been re- removed from that for now for about four years. I just do integration work now. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm part of the culture and I'm part of the the using these technologies, but I don't actually do the work day in and day out anymore. And I I was I really did a gut check trying to figure out how would I describe the difference after this conversation popped up. And I see the side. I see both sides, but. At the same time, I'm just kind of like, it, it feels like there's a very specific definition of what boots on the ground in SRE. Mm-hmm. DevOps practitioner is a much larger umbrella, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. We're, well, the last place I was at for um, my current job, I was like, you know, I was kind of, I just sat, I was a small company, so we all mm-hmm. sat in a big room, mm-hmm. and um you know the so we had developers and then we had DevOps guys. We just call them DevOps engineers. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what they did day to day is like they would. You know, we were more immature, so there was definitely some firefighting. But really, they were. I always just think they were <laughs> like the DevOps guys were just like more sarcastic, <laughs> right? But like con- they were just like constantly automating stuff. Like something would break, stuff would break all the time. But then they would you know try to go back and fix it. And uh, and, and then sometimes right then software engineers they would get involved too. So it wasn't like. You know, the whole line there, the line yeah. wasn't super, it was just dependent on like who, what was going on. And there was firefighting, right? Mm-hmm. People had paid your duty, right? And got right. called and stuff and fixed stuff. But then there was a lot of automation, but, um, we never had anybody that, that was like, I'm the site reliability engineer, I'm the SRE. And I'm, if anything, it was the manager of the DevOps oh, group that was sort of like managing the team yeah. and then kind of like looking over everything and then trying to figure out like where they should spend their time automating stuff. Cause we had a lot of stuff to try to automate. Um, so, but that was like a dual role, right? He was kind of like DevOps architect and like just 
manager. So, so he, he, that person had the ultimate responsibility with it, the site reliability, if you will, responsibility. Is, is that how you're saying? Yeah, but I mean, it's funny looking back on his asked question. I mean, what that meant was like if something went down, the CEO, because it's a small company, <laughs> would call him. So he was like the de facto yeah. SRE. And then, of course, he would, depending on what it was, mm-hmm. right, he would call his guys or occasionally – it would flow back to, again, the VP of engineering. So the, it, you know, those were the two guys that were like on the hook. Like if stuff broke, if like it wasn't working, that's, they were getting the phone call. He was the threat right? to choke. Yeah, so I mean, you're, <laughs> I guess that's kind of an interesting question that probably every group could do. It's like if you don't have someone with the title, it's like who gets the call? Yeah. Like not the page. Who gets the call, like the business level call? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like I don't get it. That's probably your default SRE, right? And then he has to like figure out what to do. Yeah. Nice. I like it. All right, we'll go with that for now. We'll see if that's good. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Uber and not about uh, ride sharing, but let's talk about they were in the news today because I I like this example, and I'm not. We're not here to pick on Uber, at least uh, for the company or the lawsuits and all the things in the news. (laughs) But they recently had a security breach, Mm -hmm. and it turns out that uh, somebody broke into their GitHub, Mm -hmm. and so a couple of things. One. They didn't have multi-factor authentication. Long-time listeners of the show will know that that's a big no-no with me. <laughs> and then more importantly, they had uh, – looks like they put their, their AWS credentials uh, in the GitHub repository. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things here I want to talk about. One is Uber, putting aside any, anything you think about the company, it's a, it's a huge new tech company. So I think that's important here. This isn't like a, you know, a small company that we haven't heard of that's been around for 50 years that probably doesn't have maybe like the smartest. I shouldn't even say that. I should say that like it doesn't have like all the San Francisco guys working mm-hmm. on it. Uber is this company. It's I, maybe the most highly valued private company in the world. I don't know if that's true. Someone can fact check it. But, <laughs> and they've certainly hired a lot of – I think they've hired smart people, even if we think they haven't done always done any of the best stuff. So – I think it just highlights to me, like, what's important is, like, we all believe that, like, DevOps, and we talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. that, like, people get it. But let's maybe walk through, like, what these guys should have done. So, like, first and foremost, like, this is the most rookie mistake I think ever, is, like, putting your credentials in GitHub. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. All right, go ahead. Yes. I swear, maybe this is only for public repos, but uh-huh. I swear GitHub actually checks for these things. They actually have algorithms underneath everything. Oh, you're scanning the code? They, like, because the, like a, uh, AWS credential is a standard right. like, standard length X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be smart enough to be like, hey, you're checking in credentials. You probably shouldn't be doing this and kick, you, kick your pushback. I swear that exists. Well, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't. I mean, it seems like it would be a good – so this kind of comes back to auditing. So yeah, this is what yeah. we should come back to in a second – but let's just say, let's sure, for the sake sure. of argument, Elliot, for this article, and then we should maybe go fact check that and see, <laughs> like, let's say, uh, regardless, regardless if they did or they didn't do it, and they said they did it, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. Okay. What would you have told them to do? What should they have been doing here? That's a great question. Because really, I guess the broad topic is like, how should people be protecting their secrets? Right. <laughs> like. We, I just give a uh, one password file around everybody. <laughs> <laughs> just with one just, one shared master password. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. And it's not one, two, three, four, five, oh seven. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no, no, no. You'd be proud of me. I actually have two offender two factor off on all my. That's stuff. right. Everyone, everyone should. Though I do admit, just a tangent real quick. Uh-huh. 
can you put together a how-to if I need to change my phone to how to get all those damn things moved over? I can. Because yes. that is actually one of the scariest. Like, I can't give up this phone now. Yes. Because I won't. I would have to go through. Well, the answer to that is you got to put your password, your one password file. You put it up on like Dropbox, right? The, and have the. But, it, uh, but, but for one, for the the one, the, like the Google Auth thing. Right? Uh-huh. Sorry, I'm going to completely tangent this because yeah. I have actually an opportunity to actually ask someone who knows about this. Uh-huh. Like the Google Authenticator, right? Yeah. This thing. How yeah. do I transfer all this shit? Yeah, that is a pain. Google Authenticator is a pain. So there is a way to tr- basically take it off that phone. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll look it up. We'll have to talk offline. Okay. Right, right, right. But I will say, like my own personal thing is, I've gone away from Google Authenticator because just because of that, because yeah. it's a little. It's a little painful to move around. Mm-hmm. You don't always have it. So I have – I generally use uh, SMS, right? If, you know, one-time oh. passwords that way. And then they let you do a backup. Yeah. Usually they let you do another phone number so you can use like a trusted person in your life, maybe your wife, yeah. so that's your backup. Or if you have like a second phone for, uh, for whatever reason. So that seems to be better. And even Google has gotten away. Google doesn't even use Google Authenticator really? anymore. Yeah, they've gotten away from it. Oh, wow. so, but it's out there because so many people use it. Yeah. So, that one, the one, so that would be a recommendation is fallback. In most of the places that don't now, like Apple and other places, they have it built right into like iOS, right? They let you like That's use sexy. that. And so like another like Twitter lets you do it through the app. So they'll either allow you to do it in their own apps, which is obviously the best because then they're, they're kind of controlling it. Mm-hmm. And then there's SMS, which I think is second best, and then the authenticator stuff. But can't SMS be... It can be, yes. Those people say, like, can yeah. it be? It's like, yes, it, theoretically, it could, it yeah. can be done. So it's like, is it, but again, are you, are we, uh, stor- does I say this all the time? Like, are you, are they sending you, like, launch codes to nuclear weapons? No, right? Like, but they're probably, like, a one time password over SMS, like, in theory, it could be broken. Generally, it's not going to be, and it's not that inconvenient in your life to use it. So let's do that. You know, let's do better than you know, not yes, in, in yes, best. Yes. Now let's be like, oh, there's nothing we can do, right? So let's <laughs> let's go there, and then eventually, you know, I think there will eventually be an even better way to do it, right? And I think, like again, with Apple, use the built-in Apple stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's very secure, right? Or it's most secure that I think you're going to get. Yeah. But nonetheless, we diverged. That's yes, good. Did. But I do like talking about that. <laughs> Let's go back and talk. So, like, let's go back to Uber. Like, what would we have recommended Uber? Because I think this is simple stuff. But, like, hey, they have secrets. They shouldn't be in GitHub. What should they have been doing? Well, um, going back to the, the, the check against it. So, you, obviously, you know your secrets exist, right? Yep. You have some way to do it. You probably have an environmental file or something like that. You should be using your best practices of doing those types of secrets. Google how to do secrets with Rails, mm-hmm. right? There's a million different ways to skin that cat. Yep. Force standardization across your, your your organization and pull those secrets out. And then create um, spot checks. Surprisingly, um, or not surprisingly, I guess InSpec is great for this, right? Where you can actually have a way to validate to make sure that you're like, well, actually for that matter, a bash script or a, a git commit hook that you standardize on to make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, you grep through everything to make sure that this secret doesn't exist inside of here. And then you push it out and not have to worry about it. Yeah. But the more you read into that article, with the two-factor auth and the way um, the person got in, and also what I was hoping that we kind of meander over to, which was the CTO mm-hmm. in that article said that he was he had to testify in front of the Senate. Yeah, because of the breach. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrifying when you come when you start thinking about it mm-hmm. right where you have to have like if you have someone in front of congress having to do this this type of work 
you need this level of protection. You need to be doing the, as, as Adam said, it's the hard right thing, which might hurt your business in the short run, but it's a hell of a lot better than getting completely gutted by Congress right. in, in five years' time. Yeah, no, and I think this is the place we just can't say this enough. It's like, one, you know, there are, to your point, there's lots of ways to manage secrets depending on your environment. So they, there's lots of, ways, lots of things they should have done. But two, what you were talking about here, right, is like, because, you know, let's talk a little bit about auditing because so many times, and I had this conversation a couple episodes ago with a friend. We talked a lot about CISOs, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, so often auditing is looked at like this, like, add-on mm-hmm. thing that's annoying and, you know, unnecessary. Many people kind of feel like it's unnecessary, and it's like, what you're saying before, right? This this is exactly what you know. We talk about automation and sleeping sleeping well at night, mm-hmm. like not not uh, missing your kids on Christmas. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to go there is like, how do you not testify in front of Congress? Is that you take the time <laughs> yep. to and again, like once you get the automation running, what you were saying before, and there's you know we can talk about inspect great mm-hmm. solution, but you know you could do you do it lots of ways, right? Around you need to go through and be checking for all of these things all the time. And it's not just like, did you put passwords in there, right? It's all the other stuff, like are my servers exactly. uh, properly configured? Do they, you know, uh, do they not have SSH on them? Do they not have <laughs> nice. all, all, the, uh, all the different things on them? Because once you get in the condition of doing that, right, it's the whole idea of like uh, you got to go slow to go fast. And I think, you know, and I just think it's a great example. Right? Mm-hmm. Uber, I mean, it's, I mean, it's worth more than any company in the world. Mm-hmm has all the talent in the world to do this kind of stuff. They still overlook this, exactly. right? And I think, I don't know if you caught there, like, did you see what he told Congress, too? Because this is another thing I think hmm. it gets into about human, um, human nature is, he didn't say what, but they said they'd stopped using GitHub for all of their oh, private, right. yeah. I guess their own you know, IP. And, it's, and I think that's a great window into the world of being a CISO mm-hmm. because – if you read this article, I don't think GitHub had anything to do with this breach, Not right? At all. I mean, they provide two-factor authentication, mm-hmm. and they would never recommend putting your credentials in there. So, the question is, though, when he's in front of Congress and he's in front of you know people that are not day-to-day technologists, mm-hmm. what is he going to say? Is he going to say, "Oh, you know what we did at GitHub? We in- implemented these things," or is he just going to say? We've, we've taken it off GitHub. And I, he didn't say it in there, but I, I, my impression was it's now like a private repository probably, you know, inside the Uber firewalls. And, mm-hmm. and that, like, to me shows you, like, how, you know, because we talk about private cloud and public cloud mm-hmm. and all these things. And so I think people really miss this. It's like, you know, people are conditioned to just, like, want to own something. Like, if I have to be responsible for it. You know, and I'm going to go in front of Congress. Fine, I'm just bringing it in house. We're mm-hmm. just going to set up our own service, which has its own set of problems. Isn't necessarily going to fix it, but I thought it was just really interesting. Like, because this it's kind of another, you know, Uber again. I'm back to like what a smart company is from technology, but they're they're reacting like much like a financial institution that's a hundred years old mm-hmm. would react. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, 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 we can't do that crazy cloud stuff because we're just afraid. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, until that mindset changes, right, until you can sit in front of Congress and say, hey, we've implemented some new audit policies and we're not worried about it, right, and we've taken our uh, – until someone can understand that, there's always going to be this need to pull your technology or this desire for people to be like, I don't care. I'm going to put it in my own data center. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. The um, – just to kind of highlight inspec here to – I'm actually might might talk to my marketing team about that, and they're, they're saying that um, uh, what happens when you have to testify in front of Congress? Right, it's, it's, a, it's a good little it's yeah. a good little thing. Um, we we have we have this new kind of 
elevator pitch where we have the concept of detect, correct, and automate. Mm -hmm. um, and this is me putting my business hat on real quick. All right, do it. Um, but the, mo the most important part of that to, to kind of hook you in is the, direct, uh, the detect part, right? Where you need to detect what's going on and correct using Shaft and automate because we have a whole automate stack to continually do this. The, um, the interesting thing, though, is that there's something called the computer information security? Yeah, CIS, I think. CIS, right? yeah. yeah. I, I never get that last one correct. Um, and I, I took a project where um, I took one of the CIS profiles, mm -hmm. and I put it all through InSpec. And um, I talked to some people who had to actually do it in real life. Now, if you've actually read one of these things, they're about 200 pages long. They're god-awful boring. It's like, make sure that you have this bit turned to false and right. change this file to make sure that you can't read it. I talked to someone who actually uh, ran a team who actually did this at one of our, our major companies here in town. And they're like, yeah, we hire interns to do that because it's so effing boring. And I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. Well, I mean, technically they're an FTE and it takes them about an, on one machine to go through all 200 pages. It's about 40 hours total. So you're, you're telling me you dedicate a week of engineering time to going through this CIS profile, which is part of their audit thing, which is why I'm bringing it back to the audit thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my boss found out about this, and then he's like, JJ, you should automate that, put that in the inspect profile. I'm like, okay. Went off and did it. Took me about, I'll be honest, took me about three weeks because I had to like comb through the damn thing. Right. Ran it on my final test. Took eight minutes. Yep. I turned hire of a body that would go through something for 40 hours a week into eight minutes continually mm -hmm. so the the ability to use automation to do these types of compliance checking these these this way can speak to a different group inside of usually inside of the com these companies that chef traditionally doesn't talk to but it opens up your eyes because all of a sudden you're instead of looking at that famous Excel spreadsheet that we all know exists, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. <laughs> we all know that exists. Yes. Um, instead of looking at that one, your security team can be doing the what is it, the blue red practicing and things like that. Yeah. Like the fun stuff. Yeah, with red team, blue team, right? Testing and, exactly. and actually doing more advanced uh, security analysis. Which is how you would get to stop coming to the Uber story where. If you when you read the article, because of the two, no two factor auth, he brute forced a password against a known user inside of GitHub. They crept through the damn repo to find the, the secure the um, the the bucket, which by the way was probably called like Uber Dash Secrets or some shit right. like that because of how it was yeah this is not that sophisticated exactly. right it's, it's pretty easy right? and then all of a sudden he gets to the S three bucket and he has everything everything yeah. Now, if you actually walk through those steps, that's not many steps to do this. And anyone can write a, a, um, a, a password generator, right, to just brute force it. Or uh, what is it from hackers, the mo four most common passwords out there? Yeah, just no. – I mean, it's fairly – I mean, once you get to the point right? – well, even even worse than that, like probably the password for users is, actually, is out there pretty easily. To Probably could have bought it, right? Someone reused a Gmail password or something like that. So it wouldn't be that hard – to even get, uh, if you had an email address, yes. not that hard to like 
probably, you know, all of her passwords, let's say this all the time, all of her passwords are everywhere. So yeah. like, don't, <laughs> you're not special. Your password also is somewhere that's been stolen. So either change it, mm-hmm. uh, use two-factor authentication. Um, but then, you know, and then back to this hacker, it's like, yeah, he, he probably had one. He probably mm-hmm. had a password for a known email address. Or, you know, you have that standard password that everyone gets when you join that company, which is probably the name of the company. And we yeah, the default password. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for a fact, there are people inside your org right now who may have just added an extra one yeah. or an exclamation point at the end of that thing. And they're like, ha ha, it's mine now. Yeah. Well, you throw that into a, gen- or, uh, uh, a bot that just figures out what that password is and then just adds that, that come on now. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> well, I think that's the whole point is that, you know, until people up front, right. And I think today, obviously where are we like in the world? It's like, and we'll talk about the second, right? Because you know, I think that's one of the, the blog posts you wrote here, you know, like right tool, right job, and the idea that you know, everything, you know, really should always, shouldn't be touching these servers uh, <laughs> uh, at all. So until, and I think that's pretty well understood. I think people know kind of thing when they're deploying a bunch of stuff, they're redeploying it, that, hey, we're not going to, we're not doing it the old way. We're not going to be out here like manually uh, playing around with one server. But I don't think it's gotten through on the audit side. Like, hey, mm-hmm. when you do this, like, you just like you're automating all because I think it's it's not this immediate. Whereas you um, told the story already about like being called on Christmas, yes. and a lot of people you work with or in this profession have yes. that on call story. Mm-hmm. Like I left the thing. Only a few people get to testify in front of Congress, that right? Is. And that's why those people are typically not the ones. So they're not feeling the pain as much, but it's still there, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I always think, and I think you know, Chef has led, you know, with Inspect. Um, I think they've done a lot of work, right? On kind of taking the that the long written form, you know, long uh, l- uh, legal documents that kind of come out of the so legislature, right? So and then, and actually turned it into because I think last ChefCon I saw something like say, okay, like this is the what is it, the recipe or what it's called in inspection? It's called a compliance uh, profile. Thank you. This is they actually turned it into like well, here's the profile now anyone can use it. Mm-hmm. So the more that the industry builds these profiles up, right, and we can just grab them all, the less you know, the less work that any of us Absolutely. have to do. All right, so we should talk a little bit about, you know, you are no SSH, JJ. <laughs> and maybe we should because I think, you know, you did spend some time writing a blog. So, like, what, you know, the, I guess the name, I will tell the story. The name is you at some point where I think uh, wrote a blog post just about, hey, no one should be using Secure Shell, <laughs> right? And uh, so I famously, uh, you know, are one of us, I don't know, somehow called you no SSH, JJ, right? And I, you know, I kind of, you know, give you a hard time with it because, it's just funny, right? Because like everyone wants to get on the terminal and like mm-hmm. muck around, like we all like to do that for various reasons. But what is you know when you say kind of like this right tool, right job, yes. like w- you know what does it really mean? What should people be doing? Sure. Um, so for me, obviously, I'm a chef employee, but I've as I've become as I've stayed a chef for a pretty long tenure now, um, especially for anyway. Um, the conversation around, I, I have more conversations at conferences about the, um, the dark ages of chef, right? Where, oh, chef was really hard for me to use, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's, it's always becomes off very, um, antagonizing. And I've realized how to have those conversations in a constructive way. And normally it comes down to, are you using any type of configuration management? Cause that's normally how they see us as configuration management. And there might be an Ansible, there might be a Puppet, and there might be some salt, believe it or not. Um, But normally it comes down to 
I try to have the conversation about having any type of tool that does the job for you. I don't care if you use Chef or not. The beauty of Chef, or the beauty of Inspect and and uh, Test Kitchen specifically, is we can wrap um, your configuration management around it. You should use the tool that makes your life better. Um, there's a, if, if you have the, I don't actually have it in front of me right now, um, but Thomas Kate, a uh, good friend of mine, he actually says, would you use a hammer to saw a piece of wood or would you use a saw to hammer a nail or something of that effect? And how ludicrous that is when you picture someone doing that in your mind, a lot of those times that's the conversations you have around configuration management and, and the way you do your stuff. I realize there are people out there who um, are, uh, what's the term, Pythonistas? I think it's, it's, it's Pythonistas. <laughs> I have not heard that term. Well, I like a, it, though. The person who like, uses Python only, yeah, right? Yeah, the, the take uh, on the fashionista, the yeah, py- Pythonista. Yeah, Pythonista. Okay. I, if, if, I'm sorry if that's considered derogatory, but that's what I've always heard them as. So All right. Yeah, sorry. And then there's a Rubyist, right? Okay. Um, but, so there, there are people out there who only focus in Python. And when you try to put Chef in front of them, they're like, they look at you like you're a goddamn idiot. Right. Because it's like, I only do Python. Why would I ever want to use anything else? Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. That's awesome. Find the tool that fits your job and your reason. And let me tell you about a story that can make your life better down the line. Mm-hmm. I don't care that you're not going to use Chef or use Chef. It's not about that. It's about using the, the technology to make your life better. So you, when you're ready to talk about compliance or you're t- ready to talk about um, your cloud native story, then I can come and offer you something to build that up above it. And that's where all that, that, that blog post came from was that I got so personally frustrated where I felt I felt like I, I wasn't getting my story across. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that I'm trying to, I mean, obviously I'm a, a chef, you know, advocate, but Sometimes it doesn't fit the right it doesn't fit the right job. Right. And that's cool. Like I'm fine. Like let's not waste our time about me trying to convince you to use chef to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, it's cool that you're like so being on the partnership side. Um, right. Oh, I didn't even tell you what I do. That's another thing. And what I do at chef. Um, I'm a partner architect. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my title. Hey, we should we should interject here. For all chef management, but you love your job even though you don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. But continue on. Yes, continue yes. on. Adam Jacobson. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He likes it. He likes it. Keep going. I do, I do but everybody, everybody knows how, how my, my humor. Um, but yes, so so I, I work with companies that it's obvious that they have a check they have a checklist of like we need a DevOps movement, right? right? And we need to be integrated with this DevOps tool so we can check this because what's an MBO? Is that the term? Or OK. uh-huh. Management by objective, that's one. There's many of them. There, there's an OKR with someone? That's the, I don't know that one. Okay. There's a lot of goals, though. Yeah. A lot of corporate goals that we're all meeting. Somebody on high at these big corporations told them that they need to have DevOps integrations. Right. Whatever the hell that means. But sure, that's beside the point. And you can tell that these companies have come to all the three or four major configuration managements at the exact same time and be like, hey, I need to write an integration with you. And it's even better when they forget who they're talking to and they call yeah, you confused they get uh, completely yeah. confused it's so funny it, it it's comes in cycles where i'm going with this is um it's it's really interesting to see how sometimes the people see that chef 
should fit in every single way. And yes, we can. We are we are Play-Doh, right? We're not Lincoln Logs or we're not Legos. We're Play-Doh. We can morph to what you need to get done. But a lot of the time, there's better tools out there for what your job is. And that's what I'm trying to get across. I kind no. of was, I was rambly there. I'm sorry. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Hey, there's no... Uh, you know, everyone, you've heard Kote talk, right? Oh, we'll be here for hours. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I'm, I'm trying to grow my beard out like him. I'm, try, I'm trying. Ooh, you see, you, that's, see, that's, you see, I got the, the. That's quite the challenge. It is. We're going to, we'll have, I'll have a, we'll have to get some pictures and we'll do side by side. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I wanted to hit on too was, you know, so I think we know right tool, right job, but one of the main things that's our most popular technologies that you do a lot with, and I think all of our listeners probably use, is VMware, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, probably no company in the last, 10, 15 years, at least in enterprise software, has been more successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've gone from kind of just this upstart to, like, dominant in, in a lot of ways in the industry. So, and I think this is, you know, like the people always talk about, like, the monolith, you yeah. know, the, the, uh, the scary monolith. <laughs> but I think, you know, most, many applications that are out there today are, are monoliths, mm-hmm. right? And they're probably running on VMware or something sure. like that. So w- in your day-to-day work as a, as a partner architect, even though we don't know what that does. <laughs> uh, I know you do a lot of work with VMware. So, like, what do you see? Like, what's the state of VMware in your mind today? Is it something people are moving away from, or is it something people are evolving with? So, I'm going to speak a little bit of hyperbole, but that's how I speak. So, anyway, um, every enterprise I talk to has VMware. It's that simple. I, I, it's, if you talk to uh, anyone who is not a, um, San Francisco Bay Area startup, <laughs> right? They have VMware. Like e- even in the Seattle, like smaller companies, yeah, they have VMware because it's it is the workhorse of our industry. It, it yes, it's ridiculously expensive. Yes, they have a whole army of salespeople who check what you're doing and they click a little, check a little box and I say, ha ha, that's a hundred thousand dollars in my pocket right there. Mm-hmm. Just like a uh, famous story with Oracle back in the day, right? When they sure. would go. So, so if you look at it, Oracle being the old school, like the previous life or previous generations, evil, like coming by, taking stuff away, VMware used to be that now. But mm-hmm. now they're actually trying to change. They realize that their market is no, their, their market is no longer that story, and they need to get to the um, the Bay Area startups. Um, there is something called VMware on AWS, uh, which you can reach out to me directly if you want, and we can talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, it is a very interesting kind of, it's an interesting play to say the least. Um, it is very design, it's very much designed for an enterprise. Um, there, anyway. Um, so are people like when you go into like a VMware shop today or you're mm-hmm. talking to people, like what, what do you think they're doing? Are they moving over like the technology they're trying to like you know decompose this monolith into you know some set of microservices or are they really trying to make the application work better in the vmware ecosystem like what do you think is happening out there so a lot of them a lot of companies who are vmware only shops still believe in um what's a good word for it uh template or golden images Mm -hmm. right yeah um now, I believe this is the right term, and it doesn't sound as positive as I want it to be, but the enterprise laggard, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, late adopter. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're the late adopter. Yep. They're finally catching up with infrastructure as code, um, okay. which I didn't realize as a term is IAC. 
I didn't actually mean them. Oh, really? Yeah, there's okay. actually like term like you can see IAC. Infrastructure as code. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good yeah. to know. Sure. <laughs> the more you know. Anyway, um, so there's this the, the, these these late adopters are finally coming in with infrastructure as code, which is unbelievably powerful for or unbelievably awesome conversation for someone from my life at Chef, mm-hmm. right? Where we're like, okay, cool. So you don't want to actually spend like 12 hours in your build pipeline to get out a golden image that you're going to just basically clone out. We can actually like become more, um, uh, uh, we can have a much more higher velocity being able to do as infrastructure's code and building a CDCI pipeline around that, blah, blah, blah. We all know the story. If we listen to Matt, we know the story. <laughs> um, I love you, Matt. You know that. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see because with all those people who are finally catching on that are the pure VMware shops, it's almost like they're trying to jump a generation. And they're, uh, they're immediately trying to get, they're trying to jump a generation and trying to go immediately to the cloud native story, which is a really, really interesting place to be because as a trusted advisor with using infrastructure's code, I can come along and say, okay, you want to play with this Kubernetes thing? Or you want to play with uh, OpenShift? Let's talk about using Habitat or Mesosphere, if you really want to use Mesosphere. Um, Let's talk about Habitat to get that to that next story. So instead of you being a a late adopter to something that has changed the way the industry works, now as you're learning this new technology, you can just tack on a little bit more knowledge and be able to gain a new skill set so you're now on top of the thing. Okay, so you're actually trying to help them go from the VM to the container. Is that like, the, are you trying to help that's them make a, that? That's a loaded statement right there. Or, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, or, or let me ask it more open, uh, um, a different way. Like is, is obviously every situation is different, mm-hmm. but if I'm running a bunch of VMs today, yeah. I kind of have these two options, right? I either need to kind of grow with VMware mm-hmm. or there is this moment where it's like, okay, potentially, and this is the Docker story, right? Mm-hmm. Their whole thing about uh, basically, you know, they don't say it this way, but they, I, what they mean is like, take your VMs and put them in containers and yep. we'll save you money. Right. They, they, uh, they have a whole story there. So like, do you think that's happening or mm-hmm. is it, is it, you know, like everything it's, life is much more complicated than this. I'm, I'm going to go with the complicated story. Uh-huh. Um, for the longest time I was on the, um, back to the no SSH JJ. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also on the camp for Docker to me was just lightweight virtualization. Right. When I actually talked to anyone who used Docker at any level, any level it was, like, yeah. it was just it was just so they could get more um uh, capacity on a vm yep. like it was literally like a cent os box you're running the docker ce version and they would just shove containers into the point totally. where they're getting this is true there this one i'm actually thinking off the top of my head they actually had ganglia if you know anything about old technology ganglia they had mm-hmm. ganglia graphs running on their vms and they would get to the point where it would hit like 95% CPU usage. Right. And then they would just spin up another VM and just start shoving things into that. It was, oh, so painful. Anyway, um, it, it was a complete and utter abuse of the system. Though, I will say, um, using Kitchen Docker, Test Kitchen Docker, to do your uh, chef iterations, that's actually pretty good. I have our post on how to do it, and it's pretty good, actually. But um, for your production environment, it's a completely different story. 
Okay. Sorry, I was rambling again. No, it's fine. <laughs> so, but I do think it comes back to, like, I, I, I see nothing wrong with it. I mean, hey, that's a good use of, you know, lightweight versus, I don't know. People kind of say it pejoratively, and I'm like, listen, that's fine. If that works for you and that helps you, and that, that is another step, if you will, going from where you are to, like, maybe a fully decomposed microservice system, you know. I, I, I disagree. Think you disagree? Well, tell me, what, what should people be doing? That, well, okay. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a cautionary tale. Okay. That VM that you were shoving those containers into, mm-hmm. it gets, because of the way C groups are and the way the, the system was, at least at the time this was being written, it's gotten better over, over the years. At the time, one of those VM, or one of those VM, one of those containers, kernel panicked, mm-hmm. whole VM would go down. Okay, so the whole thing. The whole thing. Yes, yeah, so you lose like a, a zillion other, exactly. other uh, containers and stuff. Okay. That's where, that's where Kubernetes comes into play though, yep. right? Where because there's the – I'm using the wrong term, mm-hmm. but right term, the orchestration yes. of I Kubernetes. Yes, right term. Yep. Um, because it has, it has the watchdogs to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if one of those did – Could current, restart. It yep. did, and it would restart and come right back up. Mm-hmm. And you can expand and contract. That's why – that's the beauty of Kubernetes, right, is the ability to do blue-green – Blue green, blue green deployments mm-hmm. in a effective manner. Though um, I was actually listening to Software Defined Talk on the way here to kind of inspire <laughs> me to, to think about things they say. Um, and it was one of the, the th- I think you actually said it, which was um, the the way that Kubernetes is and the way that things are done with the Heptio story. It's just stuff on top of Kubernetes, yep. right? Um. People still need to realize that when, like, as a as a industry, Kubernetes is just one piece of the puzzle. Definitely. And everyone else is trying to monetize different portions of it on top. If you went to KubeCon here in Austin, you saw that all over the place. It was like, it was just like OpenStack back in three, four years ago, four back, where it was companies who were trying to monetize this new this new foundation. Like, as as we're sitting here in this in your house here. Um, you have an amazing foundation to your house, but you have a million different ways to build the house, yeah. right? You have different ways to do doors or whatever. And people are trying to jump on that story, thinking that they can just go to GKE or on-prem Kubernetes and be like, that's all I need. Yay, yeah. done. Let's throw it into production. No, there's this whole other world around it that um, as an industry, we need to either pump the brakes or we need to get some very, very opinionated people creating industry standards so we can put this stuff into production. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's, you know, and that's we end up talking a lot about on Software Undefined Talk about Kubernetes, but that's that's what's going to happen. I think that's the next several years is, you know, everybody knows the basis mm-hmm. Kubernetes, and really that's building on top of Docker and the container mm-hmm. format. So those things are solidified, but now you're going to see the next couple of years, you know, the rest of that ecosystem yep. You know, Istio and all the mm-hmm. stuff that's coming out, right? Solidify, and then at some point it needs. I, you know, I say this all the time. Like, I just it still needs to be a lot easier, right? And that's where it needs to like because I think I know a lot of people involved in it now are like, yeah, it's really well decomposed, and you look at all the like the projects and all the you know the architecture diagrams, and that's great. I mean, that does allow for innovation, but at the same time, like I always think like until this kind of gets to your point opinionated mm-hmm. and people are like, this is the way you do it. And it's pretty simple. And like, we all just learn it. Um, that's when you're going to see the massive, like the adoption of the rest of the world, the non San Francisco world. So um, just to, just to tie it back to two of the other things we were talking about a minute ago, 
Um, there is an actual, the one uh, commit I have to the Kubernetes ecosystem. Oh, wow. I actually, oh, yes. Wow. yes Let, I, let's I, hear I, it. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. My research didn't turn this up. Well, it's just a document. <laughs> well, every, every documentation is important. It is. So very important. I, underrated. I, yes. Un- it's underrated commit. Yes. So, um, so there's a project inside of the Kubernetes uh, GitHub called Kubernetes-Anywhere, um, which is designed to be a uh, Terraform plan um, with either Azure vSphere or vCenter, whoever mm-hmm. you're talking to, or um, uh, Google Cloud Platform, GCP. Okay, GCP, yep. Yeah, not, not GKE, not the actual Kubernetes. Not the Kubernetes, drive, but, but the can, Cloud Platform. Yeah, yep. so you can actually spin up VMs to do the work. And it's just one that does it. And it actually works flawlessly. Like, it, to, to your statement a minute ago about how easy it is to go. Yeah, if you do Kelsey's... Uh, Kubernetes the hard way. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're gonna need a bottle of scotch and probably some time. I get it. I totally understand. There are people who want to do this, but if you want to just play with the damn thing, and you don't want to go to GKE because GKE is doing something a little bit more production-like, if you just want to play with it, understand how all the pieces come together, and and get the the API endpoint on your your on-prem site. Right. Uh, Kubernetes anywhere is actually really well. Really done. good. Yeah. All right. So all right. Well, then everyone should go try it. They should. I think we should recommend that. All right. So we are almost out of time, JJ. Oh, but no. uh, a, a couple things. First and foremost, uh, I think you have ChefCon coming up. We right? do. Tell, tell me about ChefCon. Where, where is it? Where? What should people do? How do they come see you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, at uh, ChefConf last year, which was here in Austin, mm-hmm. um, I took over a job and the at the at the at ChefConf. Which was the information booth? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Rob Kidd and I. Um, so, as chef employees, we're supposed to volunteer for different positions. Okay. Um, I think I was originally going to do a talk or something, and it just didn't it didn't come through. So, um, I ended up just sitting at the information booth in the main room with my laptop and just answered questions. Mm-hmm. And it became like the most obvious, op- awesome job for me and Rob because we had people who needed to ask questions. And it would be ranging from chef to where get the best tacos in Austin mm-hmm. to where the bathroom was. Okay. So um, at ChefConf this year at, uh, in, in Chicago, I'm going to volunteer to be in the information booth the whole time. I'm going to have rogue stickers for people who come to see me in the chef, in the chef information booth. Um, and it's going to be one of the greatest opportunities to reach out to the um, the chef community as a whole. We have people who are practitioners to decision makers to um, people who are just trying to understand how to use chef in their day-to-day lives. Um, as of right now, I'm actually doing, I'm actually going to be leading a workshop for GCP um, at ChefConf where uh, I will teach you how to use GCP as your backend to do all your chef development work. Okay. Um, if you don't know, I'm going to plug GCP right now because it is an amazing cloud. It really is. Um, Google has done some really awesome things with their, their 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 compute cloud, and if you need to learn how to use Chef to drive it, uh, I'm your boy. Okay. All right. So when is it? It's in March. May. May. Is that yes. what it is? No, I don't May, know. May twenty twenty fourth through the twenty sixth. Okay. And or, what's the URL? Where should people go? Uh, Chef. Chef.io. Okay, and we'll put that in the show notes. I was sign up. My, my wife's birthday is the 27th, so I have to remember these things. <laughs> you better. You better know that stuff. All right, well, find uh, JJ at ChefConf, and he will teach you all things uh, to go. All right, so uh, 
one other thing I want to ask you. It sounded like uh, in Twitter, and you know, it's your fault for doing this. You made some uh, New Year's resolutions. So yes. I'm going to check in where they are. Ah. Now, your first one was to run uh, completely through Linux from scratch again. Yes. Have you succeeded in doing this? Um, actually, I am halfway through. You have. I, okay. I, 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 um, what are you actually doing? You like install like what exactly does that mean even? So so there, there's a project called Linux from Scratch. Uh-huh. There's it's about an 800 page book. Oh my it god. It teaches you how to build um, and compile your own version of Linux. Okay, so you're from, building like your own distro. I'm building my own distro from the ground up using all the all the major tarballs. So they give you like 30 tarballs or wow. I think it's more like 50 tarballs. Wow. And um, compile. Now the first time I ever did this was on a uh, 666 megahertz CPU, and this is true. One of my compiles of it took of GCC on it took 48 hours. So I could hit the button, right. and I and could, then you walk I, away I, for a couple of days. Well, it was in my room, right uh-huh. at my parents' house. So I would just see the the compiling Splashing. go out. Yep, uh-huh. all night, all day. Um, I remember I did the test again on my VMware. Um, lab. Uh-huh. The thing that would take two days now only takes twenty minutes. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so it's a huge jump, huge jump in. Okay, in so it can be done. All right, so good. I'm impressed. You did that one. So we'll say halfway through. Then the next one was uh, run through Legends of Galactic Heroes. Yes. Have you done that? Uh, I got through the first episode on a plane, uh-huh. and then I fell asleep. All right, so you have some work to do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> And then third one was uh, learn how to use a outdoor gas grill. Yes. How's that going? So um, now, were you like a? Are you a grill person? And like you were now transitioning to gas, or is is it like this your first grill experience? I'm an Eagle Scout, so uh, I know how to use fire. Right. That's what I thought. Um, I've been a coal person, charcoal since. Because that's like the like, like the wet. hardcore way. Like yes. pe- people believe getting your fire right. Okay. So that's why I was surprised to see this one. So. Um, the, the charcoal in my family is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I like controlling the fire, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, Weber, my Weber is one of the most important things I own. Okay. Um, but over Christmas, my parents and my wife conspired against me. And my wife has gotten... Um, what's the right word? Annoyed with how smoky I smell after um, oh, after okay. I grill. Now I get it. So yeah. my wife and my my parents my parents wanted me to start using a gas grill too. So they finally bought or they finally put to, pulled some money and it's like congratulations here's your Christmas. Well, I hadn't actually bought it mm-hmm. <laughs> until uh, the day before the Super Bowl. Um, so I finally got to use it and. Um, I'm seeing the advantages because it really is nice to just like hit a button, have some, have something out, and I can just go throw my, my, uh, my beef tenderloin or my, 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 my T-bones on there and then just walk away 15 minutes later instead of having to, you know, spend two and a half hours getting the, the fire ready and then, you know, all the prep work. So I, I, I see the advantage and I believe that I'm learning, but um, where I actually have it in my backyard, the wind whips in a really weird way. So part like I can't turn it down in like one click under the full like on mm-hmm. fire fire right. Otherwise the wind whips and it knocks out the knocks out the gas. 
So I can't really play with the, the temperature as much as I want to. I think it's just my location. All right, so you've made pretty good progress. That's pretty good. It's only February. Yeah, and you've, uh, you're well into uh, your your New Year's resolutions. So, yeah. all right. Well, your final question here. This is a question I like to uh, end on for everyone: is uh, what do you know that you wish are, that you wish more people knew? So it can be anything. What is something? Whether it's like a tip in life, a book you read, a philosophy. What is that? The first thing that jumped in my head. I wish more people knew how to turn a, a, uh, a canoe over properly. Really? Yes. Why? Why? Because they're drowning in the, in yeah, the well, water just, or what? Just, just like, so, so, um, so, okay. I'm talking about a United States canoe, not the canoe that uh, someone in like England would understand, like not a kayak. Okay. Like the, yeah, yeah. So we're talking the, the full open, the full open, open thing, like yes. three people sitting in it. Yes. You probably saw it if you're in the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. Yeah. Everyone, is everyone has those. Yeah. Okay, yep. So, so if you don't know, first of all, the thing's designed so if it fills up with water, yep, it still floats. Okay, right. Good to so, know. so that's that's okay. Good to know if you're drowning. Exactly. Um, but the actual ability to have it and then get out of it, turn it upside down, and then push it out of the water, mm-hmm. being able to tread water to do that, mm-hmm. that is a skill everybody should have. Okay. It's like it's almost like um, sailing like a little uh, sunfish. Uh-huh. Like just a little sailboat to be able to do those things. Even though I haven't done it in years, I know the, the, the ability to do it. Everyone should be able to do that. All right. Well, that's good to know. Everyone should probably do a YouTube video of how to properly turn over to know. Because yeah. I'm actually going to do that after I did this. I, I think I knew that, but I have not seen it in a long time. So, all right, JJ. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Again, find J, uh, JJ at ChefConf. Um, or just find JJ at any one of the millions of shows because uh, everyone that from Chef travels a lot. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. If you this is the first time you've ever listened to it, make sure to go to Software Defined Interviews. That's our new URL. Find us and subscribe in your favorite uh, podcast app. Uh, if you want more information or you haven't heard Software Defined Talk, make sure to go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There you can uh, sign up for a newsletter. You can uh, request a sticker that JJ has. has mm-hmm. some software. I will send you some stickers. And if you're so inclined and you need a, a new T-shirt, you can buy a T-shirt. So uh, we really appreciate that. And we always appreciate you leaving uh, a five-star review uh, if you can in, in uh, really iTunes. Anywhere would be great, but iTunes is what we really care about because it gives us better ratings. So with that, we will talk to you next time.